Okay. Satan's strong. Yes, he is. But Jesus is stronger. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Larry Christensen is one of my favorite uh, devotion writers, a pastor. He's many, many books out. And in one that he wrote a while back in The Renewed Mind in Bethany House, 1981, he tells a story about a fellow who lived in a rundown apartment. Now, this is a story that's been around a while, but I think it's so relevant to what we're talking about and going to talk about this morning. Here's what he said in this story. By rundown, I don't just mean it needs a new coat of paint. Your walls and ceilings have holes in them. Your carpets are threadbare. Some places you can even see the floorboards instead of the carpet is so worn. The windows leak cold air in the winter and bugs in the summertime. Anyway, you're living in this type of an apartment, and every month your landlord comes to your door to collect your month's rent. Your rent is already pretty high, and you might be having a hard time paying for it right now. Your landlord, however, Larry writes, every month informs you of a rent increase. You try to explain your situation. You're working as hard as you can. You're having a hard enough time trying to make ends meet as it is. And a rent increase? <laughs> That's something you simply can't afford. Landlord replies back, so you want to make this hard. I can increase your rent even more and cut off some of your service if you don't like it. Woo. Pretty nasty, depressing story, isn't it? Well, Larry goes on to say, Then one day this, you hear a gentle knock on your door, and fearing it may be that pesky old landlord coming back to harass you some more, you only open the door just to crack. However, it's not who you think it is. You find a nicely dressed, smiling young man at your door, asking if he can speak with you for a moment. Well, even though you hesitate, you open the door and he explains. Now, just this morning, I purchased your apartment building. So I guess that makes me your new landlord. And I'm running all around all the apartments, and I was wondering if I could be, if it'd be okay if I come in and inspect your apartment, your rooms. So you'll let him in as the new landlord. And as he sees the horrible conditions in which you're living, the young man is simply appalled. And he looks at you and he says, I see, I will see that every single repair that is needed in this apartment is made right away. No one should have to live like this. And I'm going to cancel all your debts that you have. <laughs> you can't believe your ears. Everything's going to be fixed and your past debts are all canceled. Every single one of them forgiven. Wow. Just then, Larry continues with his story. There's another knock at the door. You swing the door open in joy, only to discover your old landlord glaring at you. And he doesn't look very happy. He demands extra rent, and he wants it right now, or he'll throw you and your family out on the street. Well, what should you do? Give in to this old man's threats and intimidations? Pay him what he demands from you? Ah, but wait. The building doesn't belong to this guy anymore, remember? It now belongs to the generous new landlord. So why waste your time arguing with this old landlord? Tell him, take it up with the new owner, who's right there in your apartment as this is all unfolding. You don't owe any further explanation. Wow, I love that story. It's an amazing story, isn't it? If only it were true, especially in our COVID-related rent affecting 
situation we find ourselves in here in the United States. Oh, if that were only true. Well, I have some good news for you. It is true. Not so much the, the house part and the apartment, but even more importantly, it's true because Satan is just like that old, mean, rotten landlord. He's always demanding, always attacking us. And he's very good at intimidating us. Serving him, however, my friends, is not what we want to be doing nor have to do. You see, and this is a big, big, big point for this morning's message, you don't have to listen to Satan any longer. You don't. Why? You now belong to a new landlord. You belong to Jesus. So what that means in practical terms for you and me today is that whenever Satan tries to guilt you into feeling badly and doing stupid and sinful things or tries to coerce you into serving evil desires, simply tell him, take a hike, buddy. Take it up with my new landlord, Jesus. In fact, James 4, verse 7, reminds us of that fact and, and directs us. Submit yourself, therefore, to whom? To Satan? No, to God. Resist the devil, and what's going to happen? He'll flee from you. Now that's power. Not power of our own, but power through the one who is in us and through us and loves us. And that also means, regardless of how often he keeps coming back, sending packing and trust the promises of that new owner, Jesus, in your life. St. Paul in Ephesians 6 says it this way. Put on the whole armor of God, all those things that God gives us, to stand against Satan. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. That implies what? That Satan is going to continue to be working even though things are done, even though you've got a new landlord, he's going to keep working. Matthew 4 says this. Jesus is talking to Satan. Be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Well, that message is still true for you and me today. Because we know Christ defeated death, the devil, once and for all on that cross 2,000 years ago. Jesus bought each of us with a very heavy price, his own blood. Now, even though Satan will try to convince us otherwise, we're very precious to Jesus. You are. And as we reflect on Jesus' love and forgiveness, we just sang about it in the first couple of songs, didn't we? Reflect on Jesus. We're able to gain that strength that we need to overcome those temptations and strength in our battle against Satan because it's still going on. It's still going on. Now, recall Jesus' words from our text that Pastor Dan read for us a bit ago from Mark 3. He says, no one can enter the strong man's house or carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? And here's the sermon title. Although Satan is strong, Jesus is stronger. And Jesus has tied up Satan. He's tied up, but that doesn't mean he's not active and moving and, and trying to cause mischief, more than mischief, deadly harm. Satan has a strategy. He's got things that he does and is involved in for you and your life. 
And here are some of those strategies that maybe you'll recognize in your life or at least lives of friends, families, or our nation. Now, don't get me wrong. Satan is still very strong, even though he's defeated already. And he's no dummy. He's been around a long time, like Adam and Eve type, type of time, Garden of Eden. And he's going to try a lot of things to try and get you away from the protection and direction of Jesus. And one of those strategies, I'm going to give you a couple, but one of the strategies that Satan tries on us is to convince folks that he still may win in the end. Let me just take a look at our world today. It's pretty easy to say that sometimes in today's world that it seems like Satan and evil and corruption and all that horrible stuff that goes on around us is still winning the war and we're not. I mean, we need only look around to see evil does triumph in the world at times. That's true. I don't like it, but it's true, isn't it? However, this triumph is only temporary. I mean, think about some of the most brutal ruling regiments, regimes in the world of history. Hitler and the Nazis, Stalin in Russia, Saddam Hussein in Iran. How many of them were able to stay in power before their reign of terror and evil was destroyed? They're all gone, aren't they? There'll be more, but they don't last. And yet Satan uses these events to make us think that he might still win. But any victory he may attain, and he gets some victories, won't last. Why? Because Satan has already lost the war. That's huge. He's already lost the war. And John writing in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, talks about this defeat and how long ago that all happened. John writes, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who's called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. See, he lost before it's even started. Another of Satan's favorite tricks is to try and control or dominate our lives. And this becomes very personal for, you, personal for you and me. Now, in Jesus' day, Satan did control some folks by demon possession. We hear about that a lot. It seems to be a lot revealed in Scripture. You come to a Bible class sometime, we can talk about why that was the case. Well, Satan controlled every single thing that those folks did, the demon-possessed. And, and it usually wasn't very pretty, either to the person or to society. Well, sometimes even today, demon possession happens. Perhaps some of you have seen on TV or on video an exorcism. Now, although demon possession is rare today, it, it, it can take place. But there are other ways also, simultaneously, that Satan can manipulate or try to control us. Because Satan's smart. I mean, he knows your deepest and darkest secrets. He knows your deepest fears. He's no dummy. He knows your biggest sins and everything that you struggle with. And what does he do with these things? He uses those things oftentimes to work on you in everyday life. I mean, he can use addictions to alcohol, drugs to control you. He can use guilt over past sins or sins we struggle to free ourselves from today to the point where we feel we can't be forgiven anymore. I know it happens all the time. I talk with many people who feel, God can't forgive me. It's just been too horrible, the things I've done, said, or think. 
Satan's name, we've been using it a lot today. Uh, you know more Hebrew than you think you do. Satan's name in Hebrew means adversary or accuser. So you're a smart Hebrew scholar today. And Satan, the accuser, our adversary, he loves to use your guilt, your past sins, your personal struggles, your weaknesses, for every opportunity he can to get you to cause to doubt God's love for you or your worthiness, so to speak, or God's desire to be with you and protect you and provide you in your needs of life. That's what he's trying to do, trying to undercut God in your life. Well, here's the second big point for this morning. You don't have to let Satan dominate your every thought, even though he wants to. Sounds easier said than done. I get that. But St. Peter writes this to us. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Why? He said, be alert, folks. Why? Your adversary, there's that devil name. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And guess who that someone is? And there's a third favorite tactic of Satan trying to, to get at us and separate us from God, and that is Satan's trying to marginalize Christianity and your faith in Jesus. This has been the case for thousands of years, and it is so true today. And in our culture today, Satan wants folks like us, Christians, people who gather, who want God to be our our leader, our mentor, our motivator in life. Satan wants folks like us to believe that what Jesus asks and expects of us is unreasonable. Oh, you Christians, you're mean-spirited. You're insensitive. You are so out of date with what's right and what's wrong. Come on. I find Satan is still hard at work, trying to discredit the Christian church any way he can. And I know, as I say this, it's very easy to point out our Christian brothers and sisters in, in the Roman Catholic Church and, and all the well-publicized problems and scandals in our country that have to face the last couple of years. That's true. And what's happened in the Catholic Church and, and other Christian denominations is not good. Absolutely. Nor is it okay. Nor should it just be brushed under by any means. But... Such behavior should never have happened in the first place, of course, but we dare not discredit the entire Christian community because of it. You see, traditional Christian churches, and that's kind of what we would be classified as, we're becoming more frequently targeted today by the politically correct proponents. And if you read anything in the internet, newspapers, whatever your news source is, you're seeing a, a theme, a consistent theme that's ever increasing. Because there are some who claim, even more vocally now, that biblically-based groups and churches, like Zion Lutheran Church in Hopkins, and the larger church body of which Zion is a member, that is the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, the association that we're part of, that we are hopelessly out of date. And perhaps, here's the part that's most scary to me, they're saying we're even harmful to our current society. Harmful. It's definitely sobering to hear chatter from more and more mainstream media sources regarding the supposed harm, harm, that traditional-based churches and groups who adhere to lifestyle standards and moral benchmarks, which have been the foundation of civilizations from the beginning of time, 
being attacked and denigrated. You hear it and see it, don't you? And perhaps it's sinking in, thinking, well, yeah, boy, are we ever out of date. What we believe and teach is not good, not healthy. That's the message that's being beaten into us. You see, the goal seems to be to discredit and marginalize, marginalize and discredit traditional family-based values. Like the most obvious one, the one man, one woman as the foundation of marriage. How foundational and critical is that throughout history? Well, you see, the reality is the folks who are buying into these attacks have bought into the lie of Satan. You see, Satan's great lie says, if you truly are loving, if you truly are loving, then anything goes. Satan's lie tries to get folks to believe that any behavior, any words, any relationships are okay if you truly feel love. That's a lie, my friends. I mean, just because you have a craving and a desire for something doesn't make it good, right, healthy, or pleasing. Despite all of these tactics of Satan and his disciples, he has no chance of victory. Whew. Hopefully that's some good news for you to take away this morning. Because Satan has already been defeated. Jesus accomplished that defeat on Friday 2,000 years ago. When Jesus died on that cross on a hill outside of Jerusalem, the penalty and guilt, which is the result of sin, was satisfied. Satan threw his best shot at Jesus. Take that, Jesus! You die. But he didn't succeed. Because Jesus has bound that strong man, Satan. Jesus won the war with these three simple words from that cross. He said, it is finished. Period. Victory is his, which means victory is ours. And for those of us who trust in that victory, it's assured to us as well. You see, Satan's been tied up, to use the imagery of our gospel this morning. Sin, death, Satan's power, they have no permanent hold over us anymore. All they're going to keep picking on us, of course. But that means every time we gather today in worship, to be fed by God's word as we've been doing, singing, listening, marvelous today. And every time we come forward to this altar to receive the very body and blood of Christ, given for us for the forgiveness of our sins. Every time we witness someone coming into the family of faith through baptism at that baptismal font, the waters. Jesus is freeing that precious soul from Satan's oppression and brings them into the safety of his grace. That means you and I, my friends, you and I are able to count ourselves as Jesus' brothers and sisters, as he referred to those seated around him in our text today. Released from the grasp of Satan, we're now safely in the family of faith. To wrap things up. We may be tempted to give in to that pesky old landlord and his constant nagging. And as sinners, it's natural. And from time to time, we may forget the victory is already ours. And the debts that condemn us have been canceled, my friends, forgiven, 
no more held against us. So in Christ, we're not only meeting Satan's challenge, we're more than conquerors. We're victors. We know the end of the story. And that means we can live each day with that confidence and hope. Friends, may God keep our focus and resolve clear and sharp. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.